Fishing for a show aimed at the outdoor enthusiast? Tune in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, Saturday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 147, and on the Sirius XM app. Welcome in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops. If you love fishing, hunting, and the great outdoors and want to make it even better, you're in the right place with host Rob Keck. Your adventure starts right here. Good morning and welcome, and thanks for tuning into Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, where truly your adventure starts right here. I'm Rob Keck, your host, and I hope you're having a wonderful weekend social distancing somewhere in the great outdoors. Well, it may be hot where you are, but I can tell you thoughts of cooler weather are happening with fall hunting seasons just around the corner. And believe it or not, right now there's hunters traveling to Alaska to hunt caribou and doll sheep. And, you know, later this month, uh, some of the western states, there's going to be bow hunters out there in search of pronghorn antelope, mule deer, and elk. And I can tell you, right here in South Carolina, the gun deer season opens in the low country. Well, with August being National Shooting Sports Month, there are many hunters and recreational shooters who are tuning up on sporting clays, trap, and skeet. And there's others that are setting in deer rifles and bow hunters and archers that are slinging arrows at 3D targets. Well, in many places, I can tell you the fish, fishing is hot. Hot as the temperatures are right here in the deep south. You know, there's some great fishing right now. Some of the salmon runs in Alaska's salmon-filled rivers to the Blue Ribbon trout streams of the west to the Great Lakes to the salt water fishing in the Gulf, wherever you are. Hey, thanks for tuning in. And what a show we have for you today. Joining us on our show will be Jim Libitor, the Outdoor Channel, the Outdoor Sportsman's Group president and CEO is going to share with us how 45 million hunters and anglers are aiming to bypass Hollywood with a powerful new pro hunting film called The Harvest. And Jim's going to share with you on how you can take part. Well, something else, and I'm so excited about this show, leading off will be none other than the largest selling comedy artist of all time, my good friend Jeff Foxworthy. For so many of us in the hunting and fishing and the outdoor community, we know him well as an influential ambassador for the great outdoors. His career, his love of this land, his faith, his family, they've guided and grounded him in what is important in life. Well, Jeff's a multiple Grammy nominee. He's hosted televisions, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? The American Bible Challenge. He's been a judge on Bring the Funnies and starred in his own sitcom and appeared in and provided voices for a number of movies and has his own comedy channel on satellite radio. He's created Relative Insanity, a best-selling card game based on uh, his comedy, and he's written 25 books, created more than 8,000 you might be a redneck if jokes. While celebrities like Seinfeld and Leno and, and all, they've bought Porsches and luxury cars, well, let me tell you, Jeff Foxworthy bought a farm and tractors. Clearly, Jeff is much more at home on his 3,000-acre farm in west-central Georgia than jet-setting around the country. Whether he's planning uh, his many wildlife openings on the farm to driving tractors and bush hogging or bulldozing another food plot, to annually hosting his longtime friends during deer season, to family gatherings at Thanksgiving, his farm is his refuge. Jeff's a bow hunter, and he's hunted and fished all across the great United States of America and beyond. But you know, I first met Jeff in Charlotte, North Carolina, when he agreed to entertain the National Wild Turkey Federation's annual convention, and then honored the Federation a second time a couple years later, with another powerful performance at the Federation's Nashville Convention. And I'm eternally grateful for his kindness, his generosity, and his support. Well, some years back during a presidential election cycle, Jeff and I stumped together in Cincinnati and Colorado Springs and had the chance to see, see it firsthand, his heartfelt and his love for our country. So without any further delay, please welcome a hunter, a conservationist, a tremendously caring human being that puts his Lord and Savior before all others and conducts a weekly Bible study for homeless, the largest comedy-selling artist of all time, a great American, Jeff Foxworthy. Jeff, good morning, and thanks for taking time to be with us today. 
Uh, thank you, Rob. I don't think I can live up to all of that. <laughs> well, you have. I'm, I'm listening to you tell it. I'm like, that gum, I was busy. So uh, <laughs> at, least, at least before this uh, virus hit. So, oh, yeah, thank you gosh. for having me. Well, thank you so much. And no doubt that our world has changed, you know, during this COVID crisis. So I've got to ask, you know, I've asked our guests uh, over the last couple of months, what the heck have you been doing? What's life been like? I mean, I know you're not traveling. No, yeah, you know, it's, it's weird. Probably, I've been a comedian for 36 years, and I think since I started, the, the longest I had ever gone without being on a plane was about two weeks. Um which is just kind of the job, you know, you're in a different city every night. And so, uh, when quarantine started, we just, we were on the farm and spent nine weeks in the same place. And, uh, I got to tell you, Rob, it was a couple of the best months of my entire life just to kind of be still and stay in one place. And, yeah, you know, everybody else was complaining, and I was getting up in the morning and going and getting on a tractor, and I was, as my grandmother would say, I was happy as a, as a dead pig in the sunshine. I, uh, I hear you. Well, you know, when asking a question of guests for the last few months, there's been a common response that I've heard from them. I've been home with family more than ever. Well, mm-hmm. Jeff, you know, we've seen record numbers of people, families, they're fishing, hunting, camping, hiking, boating, you know, over the last several months. I've got to ask, do you see a silver lining in this pandemic for families, for conservation, uh, maybe for hunting and fishing or heritage? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, you, you know, A, with families, it, a lot of people that I know, especially people my age where, where their kids were young adults, you know, they got a chance to kind of slow down and and be with each other during that time. And, you know, the way life is, that just doesn't happen very much. So for us, it was great to have our daughters, you know, down at the farm with us and just kind of get to spend that uninterrupted time. It, it was kind of sad because my wife and I both um, have elderly mothers, you know, and so we didn't get to see them. And I know a ton of people have gone through that. Sure. But... Uh, but you know there there was there's a little bit of lining when you know all of a sudden sports are gone and movie is gone and you know I was like well God you you actually come up with a lot of other ways for us to enjoy ourselves and you know for me at the farm whether you know we'd go fishing in the evening or uh, you know I had a chance to not being on the road to to do some projects on the farm that I'd been putting off and so, so like I said it was a it was a real enjoyable time for me. Yeah. Well, look, that's going to take us to our first break. But when we come back, I want to talk about the farm. we got a lot to talk about. Visit with Jeff. I'm Rob Keck, your host here in Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And we will be right back. Sirius XM's Rural Radio is your guide to the agricultural markets. Where expert analysts and traders join our discussion live. Your information. Open up the farm and the challenges we face. You can learn how to do it for yourself. Rural Radio, your gateway to the rural lifestyle. The latest information about hunting, fishing, and more. Rural Radio is the leader in Western sports. We talk about the latest in Western sports. Professional rodeo, bull riding. Sirius XM's Rural Radio. 147. Or listen on your phone when you get out of your car with the Sirius XM app. In 1912, Theodore Roosevelt said, There could be no greater issue than that of conservation in this country. More than a century later, his statement has never been more meaningful. The Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership promotes Roosevelt's commitment to the sporting life by guaranteeing that all Americans have quality places to hunt and fish. Visit trcp.org to learn more and take action. Welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. If you've just tuned in, we're visiting with the man who's written 25 books, created more than 8,000, you might be a redneck if, jokes, a passionate outdoorsman and a great conservationist, Jeff Foxworthy. Jeff, you own and manage a 3,000-acre farm in West Central Georgia. You've given it a name. Why don't you share with us the name <laughs> and really how you decided on that? Uh, you know, it's... Uh... I call my farm the beloved and, uh, and 
I grew up, we, we didn't, we didn't have a whole lot, but my, my dad, when I was about, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old, he, he bought back the little farm that he had grown up on. Uh, and it wasn't a big place, but I mean, it's where I learned to drive a tractor and where I saw my first, uh, print in the sand from a, from a deer walking. I could take you right to the spot right now. Uh, and, and so, but it was a little place. And so when, um, Glenn Garner, when, when the place that my, where my farm is now, when he first took it to show it to us, my brother and I were riding around looking at it and it was just so stunning and so beautiful. And we would joke with each other and say, Oh, this reminds me of the beloved home place we grew up on. Because uh-huh. we had just a tiny little dirt yard with cinder blocks with monkey grass growing out of them. <laughs> and, but, but the name just kind of stuck. The Beloved, and, and if you break Beloved down, it means to be loved. And, you know, it's, it, it's funny, Rob, but when I was young, I, I never would have thought I would have been in a position to, to have a place like that. But I've never felt like like I own it. I, I don't feel that way when I'm on it. I feel like I've been entrusted with it for a, for a short time. And so my job is to love on it and to leave it better than I found it before it goes down the line to somebody else. Yeah. I think, you know, we're on borrowed time and, and if we're going to be the kind of stewards that I think the good Lord wants us to be of all the gifts that he's given to us, especially our natural resources. I mean, we're just trying to make it better for, for the next person that's going to take care of it. You know, Jeff, with August temperatures hitting triple digits and, gosh, humidity making one feel like a soaked dish rag, it's a challenge <laughs> for some of us to get out in the heat and work on wildlife food plots. And, yeah. uh, you know, some people, of course, maybe you planted corn and soybeans back in the spring. And, uh, you know, as you know, this month and next are – You know, it's the time to accelerate the preparation of our land for planting brassicas and cereal grains and all the other fall plantings. How do you approach this, and what process do you go through to make sure you've got forage in the field when hunting season rolls around? Well, you know, it's it's funny. When I first bought the place, the first things I did was plant trees, Uh, whether it was sawtooth oaks or, or chestnuts or white oaks or or whatever. I mean, and we just planted thousands and thousands of, of trees um, to pr- try to provide a, a, a mass crop year after year after year. Um, we probably, out of the 3,000 acres, probably farm about 400 acres of it. And so you're right. I mean, in the spring, we'll plant corn and soybeans and uh, and things like that. But I also, being a bow hunter, have all these smaller plots that... Mm-hmm. Um, that I will most of the time replant about this, you know, in the next few weeks, usually in August for, for the hunting season. So we're kind of prepping for that right now. And, uh, you know, just trying to get these little, these little hunting plots set up. Yeah. And you're right. It's hot. It's hot as rip. Well, of course you learn (laughs) on a farm, um, like working in the garden, you got to get up early. You don't want to be doing that at 11 o'clock. So you you get up early and, and, and hit it before it gets like that. I will say one of the greatest inventions of all time, and I didn't know they existed when I was a child, was a tractor with an enclosed cab and air conditioning. <laughs> and, uh, and a radio. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it's funny, though. I never turn on the radio. It's got one in there. but I, it, it, And it's my, my son-in-law goes, well, why wouldn't you turn it? I said, I just kind of like that quiet time, that time to think. And, yeah, you know, right. I'll, I'll go I'll go out there and get on a tractor and and I'll stay on it for 10, 11 hours and never turn the radio on. I just, you, you know, know I just... It, it, and hunters understand that they're, they're yep. you know, sometimes it's it's nice to escape the noise. And and I always felt like even as a child, like. Sitting in a deer stand was where you kind of emptied your head and, you know, kind of examined, thought through things and put them back together. And and, and we live in a, such a stimulus-based society now that, that we don't do that as much. We don't do critical thinking. And by critical, I don't mean uh, critical. I mean thinking things out 
to the second and third and fourth level. I mean, really thinking yeah. things out. And so, you know, that's that's the thing the outdoors has always provided for me. Yeah, well, me too. And, you know, I just love getting on a tractor and bush hogging. You know, it's instant oh gratification. I mean, you seem like you really accomplished something. And uh, I just, I mean, you talk about therapy. I mean, that is like the deal. Okay, if you had one thing to plant for whitetails, if you had one thing to plant for whitetails, what would it be and why? Oh, just one thing. One um, thing. Uh, okay, I, I would probably say uh, a clover mixed with chicory. Um uh, Oh, We've had years <laughs> here in Georgia where, you know, you, you never know when you're going to go through a, a little drought where you don't have rain for a couple of months. And the great thing about that chicory is if it's, if it's really hot and you have rain, it grows fast and it provides shade for that clover, you know, which can burn up in the heat. Yeah. Um, and, and if it's really dry, that chicory has a super long taproot and it will survive when everything else burns up. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had we've had drought years where, you know, the chicory was kind of the only thing out there, but the deer it would still come to it. Well, you know, I've asked that question to to many others that uh, that love what we love about hunting and planting and and hunting whitetails in particular. And, and you know, when I ask that question, what would they plant? They've they've said exactly the same thing you have. You know, when you look at some of these oh wow, really. You see so many different types of seed out there. All of them have their advantages, and, uh, you know, it's it's just amazing. But I couldn't agree with you more. That's my favorite as well. Well, look, that's going to take us to our next break. We return, going to continue our visit with Jeff. This and a whole lot more coming right up. And I'm Rob Kank, your host here in Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Thanks for joining us, and we will be right back. This is a public service announcement test from TakeMeFishing.org to determine if you need a fishing license and boat registration before heading out on the water. Let's begin. Are you a bear? Do you have a beak? Does your name rhyme with old beagle? Do you dart in front of cars? Here's a tough one. Do you have plumage? Do you rub your body against things to mark them? Do you have webbed feet? No, I mean like a... Were you hatched? Do you have fur? I'm not talking back here. Does your boat fly south for the winter with the other boats? Regardless of how you answer, you need to be licensed and registered because it helps local conservation efforts protect the very natural resources you enjoy boating and fishing in for generations to come. Do your part at TakeMeFishing.org. Welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Thanks for joining us here. And if you've just tuned in, hey, we're spending some tractor time here with a part-time farmer and the largest selling comedy artist of all time, Jeff Foxworthy. Jeff, what is it about hunting whitetails with a bow that draws you back to a deer stand each fall? What What is that? <laughs> you, you know, Rob, I, I've always been fascinated with whitetails and it's in my life, I've, I've probably seen a million of them. And if I'm on the farm and two does run across the road in front of the truck, I, my heart still jumps. I still get excited about them. Um, and it, it, for for the longest time, I mean, when I grew up, I didn't know anybody that bow hunted. And 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 on. And I've often said, if I had one regret in life, I wish I'd started bow hunting when I was 20 years old. I didn't get into it till I was about 40. Um, and, and I don't know, you just, with a bow, you just, or, or I just feel like it, it's a very intimate thing. I mean, you really have to be on top of your game. And when I switched from a gun to a bow, man, I jacked it up so many times. It, it was like learning to hunt all over again, but there's, there's just something about that intimacy. You're not, you know, zeroing in on an animal. 300 yards away he's 20 yards away uh, yeah, it's and when intimate. you when you, pull, when you pull it off it is intimate and when you pull it off i mean it's it, there's really a sense of satisfaction with that it's like mm-hmm. wow that was that was up close and personal and yeah um yep and 
What? And I'm just, I mean, I just love that intimacy of it, I guess. Yeah. Well, talk to me about your dad and your granddad. What impact did your dad and granddad have on you as it relates to hunting and fishing? You know, I, my, my, my folks um, divorced when I was about nine or ten years old. But my dad grew up on a farm, and I remember being a little kid. I mean, and I say little, you know, five, six years old, and um, going squirrel hunting with him and then dove hunting with him. I say dove hunting. I was, I was the dog. He didn't have a, a retriever, <laughs> so I was the, uh, I was the retriever. Uh, you I, didn't chew I, him I, up, hell, did you? I, I, yeah, I remember him. <laughs> Buying me briar britches and 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 then sending me down in ditch banks to flush the quail out of there, you know. So, uh, but and my granddad was a was a fireman in a little town just south of the airport in Atlanta called Hapeville, H A P E. And uh, so, as a fireman, he'd work twenty four hours and he would be off forty eight, uh, and he was fishing most of that forty eight. And so, after my folks split up, my dad moved off. Um, we live right there, you know, right down the street from my grandparents and my granddaddy would take me fishing, uh, all the time. And looking back for a serious fisherman, it, it had to be more difficult for him to take a little 10 year old boy along. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that was just some of the happiest times of my life learning to fish with him. And he was good. I mean, he was funny. He was an old country guy and, you know, he'd backhand his reel and drop drop his lure half an inch from a log and he'd say things like well if i hadn't throwed right there i wouldn't have caught that one uh, <laughs> but but they taught me a love of the outdoors at a very early age you know and and unfortunately with with such a migration to the cities a lot of young kids don't get that at an early age and oh, I and know. i find most of the people that that i know that that truly love the outdoors. They they started started hunting and fishing at an early age, and so that's why it's always been important for me. Um, whether it was my kids or or my nieces and nephews or somebody else's kids, to just take kids along on those adventures, yeah, you know, and, and and put that put that in their hearts at an early age. Well, you know, you mentioned back in an earlier segment. When you saw your first deer track in the sand, just tell me, <laughs> what what was it like when you saw that first deer track? What kind of impression did it leave on you? You know, I was just, I, it, it, it was on my dad's farm that he grew up on. And for the abundance of whitetails we have now, you know, when I was a kid, you never saw a deer, never saw a turkey, never, you know, certainly didn't have coyotes and armadillos in Georgia. And and so to see a deer track, I was just fascinated that an animal that big lived out in the wild. And and so I was kind of a self-taught deer hunter. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I would get pallets from behind grocery stores and build these little ladders. And you look back and go, oh, my gosh, how, how unsafe it was. But I put pallets up in trees and use them, you know, as a deer oh, stand and knew nothing about wind direction or, you know, food plots or, or, or anything. So there was a, I think I hunted, I hunted almost three years before I saw my first deer. Uh, and, and that was a doe running through the woods. And it took a, it took another six months till I shot my first deer. And, but, but just seeing a deer was enough, you know, yeah. that, I mean, it was just such Absolutely. a thrill and, and, and I still, I was telling somebody this yesterday, I said, I've never, ever spent a day outdoors where at the end of the day, I thought, oh, I wish I hadn't done that or I wasted <laughs> that time. Um, you know, it really leads me to this, this next question. And, you know, so often <clears throat> when we're in a crowd of folks that uh, are non-hunters, let's say, and they ask us, you know, why do you do what you do? I've got to ask then, what are your best hunting memories focus on if you're going to share what you've experienced out there tell us a little bit about that where do they you know I, I i had rob one time i was filming something in la and uh, somebody on the set got on to me i'd just come back from a bow hunting trip and they got on to me about hunting and i said i said 
okay, first of all, I said, you, you think you love these animals. You don't love them more than I do. I, I, I said, because I spend my time and my money trying to create better habitat and better conditions for them. And I got a piece of paper, just a piece of notebook paper. I said, give me 60 seconds. And at the end of it, then you can say something. I said, but let's say this 60, I mean, this piece of paper is 100 acres. And let's say that 100 acres provides enough food to feed 50 deer. And I said, and you've got 50 deer. And so every year they're eating and it's growing back. And I said, but the problem with a deer herd is it doubles every year. So the second year you don't have 50, you have 100. But your land only provides enough food for 50. And so they eat the vegetation back to a point It doesn't regenerate enough to feed 50 deer. It only regenerates enough to feed 20, but you don't have 20. Now you have 200 because the herd is doubled again. And so what you end up having is a massive die off and slowly you build back up. And that's the cycle of nature. I said, what I try to do is I want to keep that number as, as right there at the carrying capacity year after year after year. And because I love these animals, I love watching these animals. I love the the food that these animals provide. Not only for me, it's like on our farm, you know, we have to take a ton of does out. But so many of the food banks, they get canned goods. They never get fresh meat. And so not one deer that's ever taken on my property doesn't get eaten. Um, We we give it to food banks. We give it to Hunters for the Hungry program. and, And we eat it year round. And so... I'm, I'm like, don't tell me you love these animals more than me. You don't. Keep that thought, and we're going to conclude our visit with Jeff. I'm Rob Keck, and you're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, and we will be right back. We all have it. Whether it was passed down from our fathers or grandfathers, we knew it was there, inside us. That need, that longing to walk among the wild. But it's more than just our love of the outdoors that keeps us coming back. It's knowing we serve a purpose to give more than we take. That we're here to carry on a legacy and become stewards of our wildlife. This place embodies that legacy with over a mile and a half of walkable trails and 35,000 live fish, mammals, reptiles, amphibians, and birds to teach and inspire. Stop and you'll feel it. Listen and you'll hear it. Asking you to share the wonder. The Wonders of Wildlife National Museum and Aquarium. Share the wonder. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. If you've just tuned in, we're visiting with one of the nation's outstanding ambassadors for hunting and the great outdoors, my good friend, Jeff Foxworthy. You know, Jeff, I want to sort of continue playing off uh, that thought you've just shared in that previous segment. You know, as hunters, we're getting killed on social media, even on some outdoor television, for a number of reasons, ranging from, you know, poorly presented photographs and video to poorly crafted statements. I can only guess, being in the public eye, that you've been attacked being a hunter, just like the story you you said about when you were out in, in Hollywood. What can we do as a community of conservationists to improve the image of hunters and hunting? What do you say? You, you, you know, I, I mean, I, whether you're talking about photographs or whatever, you know, and in this age of social media, um, I, I think we have to be aware of how, A, how we present ourselves. Um, you know, what you share and what you don't share. Um, because people that really understand it, it's the harvest of the animal is, is, is not what it's all. It's a small part of the entire hunting experience. Mm -hmm. You know, hunting is necessary if you love wild game to, to keep those populations right there below the carrying capacity of the land. And, and so, you know, and that's what I explained to that person in Hollywood. I said, you know, you portray hunters as people that go out and, and shoot everything they see. I said, during the course of a deer season on my farm, I said, during the course of that year, I may see a thousand deer. I said, and, my, and I may harvest 
you know, three or four does in one buck. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm taking the oldest ones out of the herd and in between I'm providing, always thinking about, you know, I, I say my land is like a puzzle that I'll never finish working on is, is I'm constantly thinking, how can I improve the bedding cover? How can I improve the, the places where the does fawn, you know, in the late spring and early summer? How can I improve the water system here? Or, you know, the what can I do to, like one of the projects I did during um, quarantine was I had an area of the farm that was just old growth where no sunlight was hitting the ground. And so, you know, me and my buddy Glenn went out and cranked up the bulldozers and the tractors and went out and took out a bunch of old growth trees and opened up where sunlight could hit the ground to provide more food for wildlife. And, and you know, if, if, we, if we can get away from the image of just killing for the thrill of killing, which any true outdoorsman I know, that's, that's not the case. To more of an image of hey we're stewards trying to trying to better the situation for wildlife, trying to create more habitat and trying to maintain those carrying capacities. I I think that works to our favor, and you know, kind of to a point we were talking about early. That's why I think it's so important um, that we as as outdoorsmen make an effort to turn young people onto this so they begin to understand this at an early age. That, yeah. that so, you know, all these things are a gift, and, and, and we are stewards of it. We are stewards of protecting this land that doesn't have concrete on it and, and protecting the, the creatures that live there. Yeah. Well, Jeff, tell us about conducting the weekly Bible study of the homeless. <laughs> I want you to share that with us, if you would. Well, yeah, years ago, I had a guy invite me. He worked at a homeless mission, and I, we, were, uh, we were talking one day, and he invited me to lunch. And, and I, I liked the guy, and I went down there to the mission, and I met him for lunch. And, and, and Rob, I was like everybody else in the world. I, I knew nothing about homelessness. I was the guy that was, if you're sitting there at the red light and some guy's got the sign, sign up, I'd give him, you know, five bucks and hope he would walk away. And... Um, that first lunch, I sat down with a kid. I say a kid. He was 20, 21 years old and in a homeless mission. And, and to be honest, my thought was, come on, dude, get a job. What the hell are you doing on the street? And I, got, I, I asked him his story. His name was Jason. He said, well, he said it was me, my mom, my dad, and my brother. He said, and when I was 11, my mom killed herself. He said, two years later, my brother killed himself, and it was me and my dad. In my second year of college, my dad killed himself. He said, and, and I just got to the point I couldn't hurt anymore, so I started smoking crack. And I'm sitting there thinking, holy cow, dude, I would have started smoking crack too. And so I came to realize that most of these people you see on the street, something bad happened to them, something so bad that and they couldn't deal with it, and so they started numbing to it, whether it was drinking or drugs. And when you become an addict, you're no longer employable. And so you start taking from your family and your friends until they don't want to deal with you anymore. And that's how you end up on the street. You can't work, and, and, the, and the people that love you can't deal with you anymore. And and so the guy that invited me to lunch, I, I kept thinking, what does he want from me? Does he want me to do a concert and give him the money? Does he want me to do the, the ads for the place on the radio? And, and I, I, said, uh, I said, dude, why do you invite me down here? What do you want? He said, I want you to conduct a small group Bible study. He said, these guys have none of that in their life. And, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, Dude, there's six million people in Atlantic. You can't find somebody more qualified for this than I am. And, but this is all I did, Rob. I said yes, and and that's all I did. I said yes, not based on how qualified I was, just my willingness to do it. And I started off with twelve guys, and I and I would have to actually have to stop by Chick Fil A and get chicken biscuits to get them to show up. Um, wow. 
it, it was me and 12 guys. And now over a decade later, there's 20 something group leaders and there's about 300 homeless guys every Tuesday morning. Wow. And, wow. you know, done it every week because, because here's what I, I thought if you could, if you could ever address the hurt, if, if you could ever go in and heal some of that pain, that gave these guys a chance to get past the addiction and get their lives back. Um, wow. Because you find out as human beings, we all want the same thing. We all want to be loved. You know, we all want to, we all want to be significant. And, and to me, you know, what Jesus did on the cross said, you're you're not only worth something; you're worth everything, and 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 that was you know we Tuesday mornings we talk about life, we talk about the love of the Father, and it's amazing. Not every time, but it's amazing to me how many of these guys now have jobs, now have apartments, now have reconnected with with families that that they've been separated from for in some cases decades, and you know I. I've just been so blessed in life. I've made a, a fabulous living doing something I would have done for free. I don't even know why I have the ability to do it. I just can. So I can't, certainly can't be cocky about it. It's, you know, I just, I'm able to do it, but I have healthy kids. I, um, and, and so, you know, because, because I've been so blessed, I just think there's, you have a responsibility to, to try to turn around and then bless other people. Well, you've done that, Jeff, and uh, you've been a blessing here today. And to all of our listeners that are listening here, we are out of time, but you've got to end with at least one redneck joke. Can you <laughs> give us one? <laughs> uh, 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 all right, I'll tell you one of my one of my all time favorites. So when um, when Larry the Cable Guy and I started our Station on Sirius Radio, uh, Jeff and Larry's Comedy Roundup, ninety-seven. Uh, for anybody that likes to laugh while they uh, while they drive, we were doing a bunch of other serious stations, and one of them we were doing was like NASCAR Live. And I was doing the show, and they said, "Okay, make up a make up a NASCAR redneck joke on the spot." And I'm thinking, "Well, that's not how it worked, you know." But I, so I, I, but I said, "All right, give me a second. I said, "All right, if if your son's name is Dale Jr. and your name's not Dale, you might be a redneck. <laughs> Jeff, thanks so much for your time here today. The example you've set, congratulations on the success you've achieved and making people laugh and America a better place. May God richly bless you and your family and all the people you touch. Folks, when we return, going to catch up with Jim Libertor. He's going to fill us in on how 45 million hunters and anglers are aiming to bypass Hollywood with a great message. You're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. This is Rob Keck, and we will be right back. Embrace the rustic elegance of a bygone era at Big Cedar Lodge. Located 10 miles south of Branson, Missouri, Big Cedar Lodge is a masterpiece that brings together natural beauty and contemporary luxury. Visitors are invited to explore and experience some of the most popular amenities here. At Big Cedar Lodge, you'll find casual dining options in an unparalleled atmosphere, with signature dishes and local favorites highlighting classic menu items. Take in spectacular views at Devil's Pool, live entertainment at the Buzzard Bar, or relax at Truman Coffee and Cafe all surrounded by the natural ambiance of the Ozark Mountains. One of the newest additions to the property is Cedar Creek Spa. This 18,000 square foot world-class spa is a private oasis with soothing pools, fireplaces, and a full service salon. In addition to the complete spa experience, there are private suites available. All of these features make Big Cedar an ideal destination for weddings, corporate gatherings, and more. Families have been visiting Big Cedar Lodge for generations, looking to experience what many call a little piece of heaven on earth. To learn more, visit BigCedar.com or call 1-800-BC-LODGE. 
And we are back. And thanks for tuning in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. If you've just joined us, we are introducing our next guest. Well, for many of you that watch outdoor television, if you've ever watched the Outdoor Sportsman's Channel, let me tell you, there's a man that's made a huge positive impact on our hunting and fishing communities. He leads the way as the president and CEO of the Outdoor Sportsman's Group. And, of course, they're the ones that produce Outdoor and Sportsman's Channel. Well, today he's here to share, share some big news about a film, a film called The Harvest, that will show how 45 million hunters and anglers are aiming to bypass Hollywood. Please welcome my good friend, Jim Libertor. Jim, welcome to Outdoor World. Oh, man, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Rob. Look, Jim, in your position of leading the Outdoor Sportsman's Group, the largest media company devoted solely to bring the best in content and entertainment to America's 80-plus million outdoor sports enthusiasts with you know, brands covering a full spectrum of the outdoor experience from big game hunting to bass fishing action to pack competition shooting. I mean, you've seen firsthand the attacks on our way of outdoor life. You know, we've seen declining numbers of hunters with concern about hunting's future. You know, whether it's in a boardroom or at an industry convention or around the campfire, the question comes up, what can we do? And although we agree that there's no silver bullet to answer the question, you have tirelessly worked on one answer that's coming together, the harvest, the movie. Tell us about it. Yeah, that that's so true. The numbers are declining, and I think the industry um, has never done anything that I can think of or that I know of that reaches out to what I call the hunting agnostic, people who really don't think too much about hunting. Um, and I've been obsessed with this since I came into the space as a newbie, never hunted, didn't own a gun, and saw this amazing lifestyle, the heart of the hunter. And I truly believe that this is not just a beautiful lifestyle, it's an important lifestyle. And what The Harvest is going to do through a Christian film is reach out and tell this story, show the heart of hunting. And I believe there are millions of Christians who are pro-hunting. They just don't know it yet. And they're about to find out through this film. Yeah. Why is celebrating God, celebrating family, celebrating the outdoors so important to the future of hunting? Yeah, you know, we did a survey and had 6,500 responses and 86% of hunters connect their faith with hunting, which is astounding. But it this is. is what I'd like you to think about. Think about the, the kids who are on the streets of Portland and Seattle right now and take them off of those streets and put them into the front range. You know, not worrying about a fire at a storefront, but worrying about a campfire. And they're not around anger and a victimology mentality. They're around friends and family and God's creation. Just think about that one person and think about the change that would make in a life. Now multiply that by millions of kids who are being raised right now that their parents will see this lifestyle. I believe it makes that kind of difference because God will talk to these people as opposed to the voices they're listening to now. Yeah. Well, look, with the first ever pro-hunting faith-based motion picture, it appears you're uh, going to be bypassing Hollywood with your approach to this thing. Tell us how Harvest Home Films and some of the productions that they produced, tell tell our audience why they've been so successful. Yeah, what what we've done is, is when we say bypassing Hollywood, we do have a producer of I Can Only Imagine and the guy who started Walden Studios and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We do have those guys in because there is distribution and there are Hollywood things that, you know, obviously you have to play ball. But the deal with this is, is if you can imagine tens of thousands of hunters coming together to produce this film, um, that's a story. You know, that's Variety. That's Fox News. That's Breitbart. That could be CNN who says, wow, tens of thousands of hunters are coming together to tell this story and we will be able to tell them, you know, why that is. And that's kind of the goal is to have that's why we want the hunters to to do this. Yeah. Well, tell us about the setting and a bit of the makeup of this movie. Yeah, it, it, what it is, is it uh, a family, and um, right now it's in Marble Falls, Texas. They're a hunting family. He's a professional hunter. They get the opportunity to move to New York City. Uh, and there's a whole, some drama around that. But they move to New York and immediately are met with anti-hunting culture. And what that enables this to do is tell the story of hunting. But the family completely starts to fall apart. 
And um, what the hunter, what the father realizes, he was he just was not the person he thought he was. He didn't have the faith that he thought he had. And he's powerfully challenged to consider his faith and his role as a father, husband and a son. And uh, through that story and that redemption, the hunting story comes out in that. Yeah, well, I think there's going to be a lot of people that can relate to this. And, you know, it's so overdue. It's something that our industry, our community, hunting, angling, just our love of the outdoors needs to have. I think it's going to be good for America. It's going to be good for America's uh, just culture that has really migrated to the outdoors. Well, look, that's going to take us here to our final break. Jim, I want you to hold that thought because we're going to return and continue our conversation about the upcoming film, The Harvest. This and a whole lot more coming right up. And you're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. This is Rob Keck, and we will be right back. Years ago, sportsmen led the first revolt to save what was left of North America's dwindling wildlife resources, and it took purpose and commitment. This crusade began with Theodore Roosevelt's forming the Boone and Crockett Club in 1887. Since then, sportsmen and women have been at the forefront of every environmental revolution in this country, providing the vision, funding, and manpower to establish and run what has become the most successful system of wildlife management in the history of mankind. Yet to this day, our story remains relatively unknown, especially to those who don't hunt or fish. We must tell this story, but we need to do more than that. We must insist that others who claim to be conservationists but work tirelessly on campaigns to end all hunting honestly examine the evidence and then ask themselves where would the wildlife they cherish be without sportsmen's dollars and without sportsmen's efforts. Conservation had a beginning, but it has no end. To learn more, visit booneandcrocketclub.com. And welcome back to our final segment of Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And we're visiting with the president and CEO of the Outdoor Sportsman's Group, Jim Libertor. And he's sharing with us on how 45 million hunters and anglers are aiming to bypass Hollywood. Jim, why don't you tell us about the comprehensive team from the outdoor industry that's involved in this production? Yeah, this is what for me has been so exciting about this is that we have about 65 to 70 organizations that are now behind us. But it's not just being behind us. It's like when I uh, talk to Toxie Hayes uh, and we talked about this, I get an email from Toxie. It says I'm honored to be part of this. Michael Waddell, the Drury's, Rob, you, you know, um, Hunter Nation, uh, the people who are behind it, they're not getting paid uh, they're helping because they understand how important, and it's not, like I said, it's not just about hunting. You know, you imagine if every family in this country had a hunting lifestyle, would we be worrying about statues coming down and kneeling at the mm. uh, national anthem and, and riots? No. I mean, and, and that is the importance. I truly believe it's that important. Well, the target audience you know, obviously, this will be well-received by hunters and, and those that love conservation. But who's the target audience, and, and what would you hope this movie will achieve? Well, the first – well, I, I won't say first, but a target is the hunting and anglers and the outdoor people because I want them to come and sit in a theater and think, finally, finally, somebody is telling the truth about what we do. It is beautiful. It is important. The other audience is these Christians and why we're attracting, because it is a Christian movie, which you do incredibly well, but the DNA of a Christian and what they love and believe in the DNA of a hunter is the same. It's family, outdoors, stewardship. It's being with your kids. It's getting your kid off the couch and into the outdoors. It's everything beautiful that lies on the other side of your door. When those Christians come, as I found out myself seven years ago, and hear this story, the numbers, not, not all of them are going to go out and grab a gun and go hunt, but the supporters, the voters, uh, and the hunters, this will completely change the direction of our industry. I believe it. It's a God-inspired project, and he doesn't have little goals. That is the goal. <laughs> Without <laughs> a question. I, I think it is so, so timely. I mean, we need this so much for this country. Well, tell us about the results of the survey conducted by the producers of this film. Oh, it, it was incredible. We, Like I said, we had 6,500 people who participated, and 86% said that they uh, connect their faith with hunting. 70% said that this is a film that should be made by the industry. 
59% said now more than ever we need this. But the interesting thing is why do you hunt? You know, they talk about camaraderie and family and food and outdoors. And those are not the things we're using to reach out to non-hunters. We talk about conservation. without Obviously, without it, there isn't hunting. But that's not what's going to bring people in. That The heart of hunting is what is going to bring people in. And that is what we're trying to accomplish here with this. Well, you're going to do that for sure. I mean, I've seen, you know, the trailers you've put together. The, I've read the script. And, you know, how important how how is this important movie going to be funded i mean that's where i know that you need some support yeah we we actually had a, a an agreement for a multi-million dollar uh investment and um we asked them to hold which i don't know if that will still be there because i'd rather have ten thousand people give me a hundred bucks than one person give me a million because the story is going to be that hunters are behind this but if you go to the harvestmovie.com uh, you can donate there and win prizes. You'll be invited to parties. There's a lot of other reasons that make it fun. But we also are looking for investors from within the industry. Uh, I think if you see the business plan, imagine a first ever hunting film with 15 million, you get 20%, 30% of the hunters to go to the film. You're already looking at a 60 to $100 million box office. But then also the non-hunting Christians. When this comes together, I believe this can be the biggest fiction Christian film ever and it's going to be because of hunters that this happens. That's the story I'm really uh, shooting for at this point, or we are. Yeah. Well, where can people go to find out more? Is there a website? Uh, I know there's people you know, that are listening right now. They're saying, I want to find out more. I think I want to support this. Where can they go? That, yeah, they go to theharvestmovie.com. Uh, and you will see there, There's we have some videos. We have a proof of concept there that was a one-day, one-camera shoot, but it shows you what the film is going to be like. All sorts of places to, to donate. You could be a supporter for free. Uh, we want to make it fun, too, so you have chances to win hunts and a lot of really good things. And once you donate, you also automatically are invited to parties. I mean, we're going to make this a celebration of hunters. I mean, that's really the goal start to finish. Yeah, look, we're just out of time, but... Give us a final thought here in the last 15 seconds, if you would. Yeah, I mean, look, I came from outside this industry. I didn't hunt. I didn't fish. I didn't have a gun. I, I want every hunter who hears my voice to consider being part of this because you probably don't know how important your lifestyle is to this country. We have to not only celebrate and educate people, we need to share this lifestyle because the country needs you and the country needs this lifestyle desperately. Jim, well said. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for the wonderful job you're doing and leading the programming and the quality of the outdoor lifestyle of hunting and fishing. I just wish you all the best in the completion and the promotion of the harvest. All the best, my friend. God bless you. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up here today on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. I'm Rob Keck. On behalf of Bass Pro Shops, your adventure always starts right here. Thanks for answering the call. That call to conservation and preserving our rich hunting, fishing, and trapping heritage. We'll see you next week. This has been Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Talking all things outdoors. Brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, your outdoor leader. Join us next Saturday and every Saturday for more special guests and unique locations. 